Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. Here we share powerful messages that will inspire and encourage you in your walk with God. Join us on this journey and discover the power of God's Word today. Uh, you know, even as we wrestle with what's next for our church, we want to continue in the Apostles' Creed and root ourselves in what's true for all time. It's good to know that things are changing, but God doesn't change, right? We've been in this ancient creed, the Apostles' Creed, that is one of the oldest creeds, that is a summary of what the Bible teaches about who God is. And last week we talked about, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, and we're moving on this week to who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. And we're actually going to look in the text, uh, Luke chapter 1, where the angel Gabriel tells Mary that she is going to bear the Messiah in her womb. Uh, many call this the, the virgin birth, or the virgin conception. So let's read God's word. I'll read it to you. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, how can this be, since I have not had sexual relations with a man? The angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth, even she has conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month for her who was called childless, for nothing will be impossible with God. I love this response from Mary. She says, I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. The word of God. I'll tell you one thing I'm excited about, the Miami Heat. I mean, we're making some moves. No one thought we would uh, do what we're doing, but we uh, won the play-in game, and then we beat the number one seeded Milwaukee Bucks, and then we're ahead in the series versus the Knicks. And I'm excited, like, I mean, I was a fan in the beginning of the Heat, and then I kind of lost interest for a while but I'm jumping back on the bandwagon because this is exciting what's going on. I don't know if you've ever watched a sports team and like you've had a passion for that team and they're, they're like not playing with drive. It looks like they're just lackluster out there. I mean, the Heat are playing great, but I don't know if you've ever watched them when they're like, come on guys, like do something, right? Make a move. It, it reminds me when I played water polo in college um, before our games, our team captain named Dave would circle us up and he'd give us like this pep talk. And there was this one guy on our team named Marco. And 
And Dave would be like, uh, we're going to win this game. We're going to beat these guys. And Marco would just go, we're going to get waxed. Like, we're going to lose bad. And we'd all be like, Marco, be quiet, man. Your ambivalence is just going to, like, spread through the team. And sometimes it did. Sometimes it kind of changed our mindset. And we'd go get in the pool to play, you know, this other team from Georgia Tech or Georgia or Florida State or whatever. And we would just be playing poorly. And our coach was this kind of long, gangly guy from California. And um, when we would play without any drive, when we would play where we, it was just like no one was making any moves, uh, he would say some things to us. He would yell some things that, to us that I cannot repeat in church. Um, but one of the things that he always said, and we're never quite sure what it meant, he would always say, hey, everybody, we're in deep yogurt. And we all would just be like, what does that mean? We knew it meant something bad, but that was his little expression of like, you guys aren't doing a thing. And we never, over four years, I never understood what that expression meant. But, but the reason that he was frustrated was because no one was doing anything. Like no one was making a move. Have you been in traffic and like the person in front of you is not making a move? That's like my angry Christian phrase. When someone's in front of me and they don't move, I don't say anything bad. I just go, make a move. Come on, man. Either put your blinker on and turn or speed up or do something. Or I don't know if you've had a crush on somebody. Uh, you had a crush on somebody and like you kind of signaled that you were interested in them. And then you kind of like waited for them to make a move. Like, hey, I'm giving the signal. I'm interested in you. Make a move. I find it interesting because as we even think about that, I think a lot of Christians want God to make a move. And here's what I mean. As we look around at our world, we are broken people living in a broken world. And it is not easy to live in this world by any means. There is evil, there is pain, there is death, there is sin. But then even as we look at our lives, there is brokenness in our lives. There are trials that we undergo there are frustrations that we have every day and we cry out to God and we say, God, make a move here. Do something. And what ends up happening for a lot of people is they conclude that God must be ambivalent. Just like our water polo team in the pool, like, hey God, we're in deep yogurt here, whatever that means, but we need your help. We need you to make a move. In fact, I read this, this study and 24% of people feel that God is distant. Like he's just out there somewhere. He's not really interested in making a move. And then another 16% of people just feel that God is silent. Like he has nothing to say to broken people living in a broken world. And I bet if I asked you to raise your hand, if you've ever felt that way, that God is distant or God is silent or God's ambivalent, most of you would say, yeah, if I'm honest, I feel that way a lot of the time. Not just some of the time, but, but a lot of the time. Well, as we look at this text today, it wasn't just a feeling that God was distant, a feeling that God was silent, a feeling that God was ambivalent. It, it actually was that God was silent. It actually was that God was distant. At the time of our story, there had been 400 years of silence from God. There had been no prophet who had come and said to the people of God, Thus the Lord says. It had been 400 years since that had happened. No messenger from God. Not only that, but everyone felt distant from God because when they rebuilt a second temple, God's presence wasn't as electric in that temple as it was in the first temple. So God's not speaking. 
It doesn't feel like God's there. It would be so easy for them to conclude that God was ambivalent about them until all of a sudden we get this messenger after 400 years who comes to Mary and says, hey, listen, thus says the Lord. And what does the messenger from God say? What does Gabriel say? He says, the angel told her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, behold, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. God was not silent anymore. God was not distant. His messenger was near. He was not ambivalent. He was going to do something. He was making a move. And as we look at this story and we unpack it a bit, we'll see three things. We'll see that God makes his move in giving undeserved grace. Secondly, that God makes his move in supernaturally acting. And then third, God makes his move by sending his son. So first of all, let's look at this. God has made his move in giving undeserved grace. Now in the text, it says twice, hey Mary, you found favor with God. Now, I know people come from a Catholic background and like Catholics and Protestants kind of think differently about Mary. But what I think is happening here in this passage is we're getting the sense that there is something special about Mary. Uh, but at the same time, Mary's not perfect. Mary has sin in her life. She is, needs forgiveness like everybody else. But for some special reason, God has said, I'm going to grace Mary with something. It wasn't so much about Mary as it was about God deciding to use Mary. I was trying to explain this to my seven-year-old and she said this way. So dad, there's something special about Mary and yet Mary's not that special. And I said, that's it, that's it. There's your theology degree right there. White is well said. Um, God is giving favor to Mary and including her in his plan in a special way, but it's not necessarily about the receiver of grace. It's about the giver of grace. God has decided to use Mary in his story to play a special part when she is an insignificant peasant girl. Now, Mary's probably just 14 years old. Can you imagine that? 14 years old. Not only that, she's not upper class, she's not middle class, she's probably very poor, as many people were. But on top of that, Mary is from Nazareth. She's from the sticks. Mary's kind of like a country bumpkin. And here, this angel is saying that he is coming to tell her that God is going to use her by his grace in a special way. And I love what I said earlier. I love Mary's response in verse 38. In verse 38, she says, See, I am the Lord's servant. May it happen to me as you have said. God is going to grace Mary by opening her womb to bear Jesus Christ. Now, you and I can what does that have to do with us in one sense? Well, God, by his grace, opened Mary's womb to bear Jesus, but in a very same way, God, by his grace, opens our heart to receive Jesus. See, the reason that you accepted Christ wasn't because there was something really special about you. It was because God in his grace moved towards you, 
and opened your heart to see Jesus, just like he opened Mary's womb to conceive Jesus. It is all about grace. And God includes Mary in his story because he is a gracious God. And God includes your story, you in his story because he is a gracious God. Now that gives me a lot of hope, even as I, we think about our church moving. Because there can be a tendency in our own minds and hearts to go, the story of this church is really about this building. You ever feel that a little bit? Like, oh, like this is really what this church is about. No, 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 no. What carries us is not having a physical location to worship. What carries us is having a God who's gracious to us, a God who calls us to himself while we were still sinners. Christ died for the ungodly. That's our story. God is gracious to Mary and to include her in his story. And God is gracious to us to include us in his story through Jesus Christ. God makes his move by giving undeserved grace. Th that's God's love language. Like that's what God wants you to see in your life when you're like, is God ambivalent? He wants you to be reminded that it's by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, not of your own work, that you became part of his family and part of his story. God made his move in giving undeserved grace. But then secondly, God made his move in supernaturally acting. Now, some of you might not yet be a Christian, and you kind of read this and you go, okay, like, um, pastor, uh, maybe you don't know how the birds and bees work. <laughs> and so you kind of read this story and you go, this is so far-fetched. Pastor, this is not real. This is just a myth. Because a lot of spiritual literature, a lot of religious literature is actually myth. Like if you look at the Hindu religion, there's a book called the Bhagavad Gita or the Song of the Lord. And that, that's not historical uh, scripture. It's not about a real event that happened. It's more of like a poetic epic. It, it's meant to be a myth. It's a story uh, about this guy who encounters one of the incarnations of the Hindu God. But it's not meant to be presented historically. It's just meant to sort of be a myth that shapes the people. And, and so a lot of people say, well, this idea of a virgin conception, this idea that a woman could become pregnant without a man. Come on, it's just myth. Except just 26 verses earlier, Luke says, this isn't epic poetry. This isn't mythology. This is history. In Luke chapter one, verses one through four, he says, many have undertaken to compile a narrative about the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as the original eyewitnesses eyewitnesses, eyewitnesses, and servants of the word handed them down to us. So it also seemed good to me, since I have carefully investigated everything from the very first, to write to you in an orderly sequence, most honorable Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things about which you have been instructed. Luke, who's writing this gospel and writing about Mary just 26 verses later, is saying this is not mythology. This is something that people of eyewitness accounts for. This is something that I am writing that's fact, not fiction, not fake news, but something that actually happened in time and space. But we go, wait a minute, but science, like we know how babies work. But here's the thing, the people in the story are just as baffled as the modern person is as well. Mary goes, how is this gonna happen? 
Like, she believes that what the angel says can happen, but she's like, what is the method through which me as a virgin will be impregnated? Like, I don't get how that works. In other words, she's just as baffled by the scientific question as our modern minds are. And the angel replies to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And then a few verses later, he says, for nothing will be impossible with God. And it's not just Mary. When Joseph finds this out, Joseph, who is engaged to Mary, which is like almost being married, but in a much more legal way than in our culture, says, <laughs> I mean, this is embarrassing for everybody. Uh, Mary's pregnant. So, but you know what? Like, I'm hurt. But let's break this engagement off quietly. And it's not until an angel shows up and says, hey, listen, this really is a supernatural miracle. It's not until that happens that Joseph goes, okay, there must be something beyond the science of this. There must be some sort of supernatural acting of God that made this happen. And that's exactly what happened. See, many people think that Christians believe in blind faith, and we don't. We don't believe in blind faith. We believe on faith based on facts, faith based on investigation, faith based on testimony. And as Christians, though, we don't believe that the natural world is all that there is. So science can explain a lot of things, but we believe that there is a realm beyond the natural world that we cannot see, that we cannot observe, that sometimes God from his realm pokes through in a supernatural way to change our realm. He, he acts supernaturally. And here's the thing, mo most of the world actually believes in the supernatural. It's a small part of the world that doesn't believe in the supernatural. And even here in the United States, like if people were to say, uh, the universe is working things out for me, like that's a supernatural view of the world. You're not that far from believing that, God, that there's a God. <laughs> Christians are different though, because they say it's not just that the universe is working for us, it's that there is a God who you can know who acts miraculously in our realm, who did that here by the power of the Holy Spirit, he put the Christ child in Mary's womb. So, so here, if you're a Christian, what does that have to do with you? Well, look, um, this one act, this one supernatural miracle, should give meaning and direction to your life. So many times we say to God, like, hey God, I have this situation in my life, make a move. And then we put these expectations on God that if he doesn't show up in the way that we expect him to show up, if he doesn't supernaturally change the circumstances in my life, and he doesn't do exactly what I think he, is, he should do, then he's let me down. And what God is saying is, no, 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 Sometimes I will do things that you want in your life and sometimes I will not, but I want you to look to the way that I have acted in the womb of Mary to bring the Christ child into the world. We can't look back or we can't look at the present at just one simple area and go, because God didn't do what I wanted, he must be silent, he must be distant, he must be ambivalent. Because what God is saying is, no, my love language to you is both grace and supernaturally working to bring the Messiah into the world. And I think that helps us even as we move forward as a church 
Because one of the things that I kind of had in my mind was like, okay, God's going to open a door in the same way he opened a door for this building. And I was like, no, that's not how it works. Like God never does the same thing twice. He always, he always keeps you on your toes, right? And like, even now I see God supernaturally working because I've reached out to other pastors and I've said, hey, we're in a, we're in a place where we, um, we need to like rent a space. But we've already had other pastors who were like, hey, let's see if it works. And I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Like I called some people and a day later, they're willing to open their church up to us. And we have to like think about whether that's the best thing for our church and the options that we have. But I was like, to me, that's God working. That's God acting. He's not doing it within my framework. He's gonna do it the way he wants to do it. God has made his move by supernaturally acting. And then lastly, God makes his move in sending his son. In verse 32a and and verse 35, the angel Gabriel says of this son, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And we talked a little bit about what that means last week. And then he says, and the holy one to be born, you can go back one slide, the holy one to be born will be called the son of God. Now, I I went to... uh, physical therapy this week, I'm having some problems with my elbows and, and everyone there loves sports, which you would figure all the physical therapists love sports. So I just, I get to go and I get to talk sports for an hour and a half, twice a week. But I, I went and, and, um, and they know that I'm a soccer fan. So the guy who was checking me in goes, I got, I got a question for you. I got a really important question for you. And I was like, oh, maybe it's some sort of pastoral question, like some deep theological thing. And he goes, Ronaldo or Messi? Who's the greatest soccer player? And I was like, oh man, that's, that's a great question. Um, Ronaldo or Messi, I was like, you could really build a team off either of them, but you'd have to like, you know, and so then we start going back and forth and then we eventually get into LeBron James or Michael Jordan. And if you want my opinion on that, I can give it to you after the service. But, but here's the funny thing. Um, we're talking about like the greats, Messi or Ronaldo, Jordan or LeBron. And then in that, like the greatest of the greats and then the greatest great of the greats. And we can make the mistake of thinking that's what Luke is telling us about Jesus. But what Luke's telling us about Jesus is it's it's not about the greats or the great of the greats or or the greatest. It's that Jesus is in a completely different category all by himself. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. The holy one, that is the one who has no rival, who you cannot compare anyone else to, he will be called the son of God. Vic Pence says that when Jesus was born, he was the infinite infant. The infinite infant. The one who who is not bound by time, not bound by space, who is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and yet became an infant. He was not created. He was with God in the beginning. He was placed in the womb by God, and yet at the same time, he is God. There is no one like him. But then the the angel Gabriel goes on to say in verse 32 and 33, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have what? No end. Uh, That his rule and reign, his power and authority will outlast nations that rise and nations that fall. It will outlast births and deaths that happen in this congregation. It will outlast tough seasons that you go through in your life. 
it will outlast the ups and downs that you feel in your heart every day. The reign of Jesus will never expire. His kingdom will have no end. And that gives you hope if you're willing to place yourself, you're willing to see yourself as part of his kingdom. See, see God has made a move. God has made a move in sending his son to be your savior and your king. And that really gives us hope to stare at a dark and broken world. It really gives us hope even as we look at our broken lives. Fleming Rutledge says this, all the technology and science in the world have not been able to stop people from hating each other and killing each other. All the psychotherapy and Prozac that we can throw at the problem has not been able to make the Christmas dinner turn out right. Human history is the same thing over and over. Rebellion and violence and fratricide and death over and over and over. But something has moved. It is not human beings who have moved. It is God who has moved. The power that created the universe with a word and could equally destroy it with a word is not against us, but for us. God has moved, not we to him, but he to us. What is happening is not from man, but from God. That is what the virgin birth signifies. God has made his move, and the name of his move is Jesus. That's what the angel says to Mary. His name shall be called Jesus. And it wasn't that there was no other Jesuses at that time. There were other people named Jesus. But the name Jesus was the only thing that would fit the meaning for his name. Do you know what Jesus means? Yahweh saves. The God of the universe brings salvation through Jesus. The meaning of his name means that God has made a decisive and final move to heal a broken world and reconcile broken people to himself. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have what? Eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only son of God. Jesus means Yahweh saves. Jesus is the grace of God to us. Jesus is the miracle that we have been waiting for. Jesus is the son. Jesus is God's love language to us. And so when we ask the question, God, are you silent? He says, look to the womb of Mary. God, are, are you distant? He says, look to the miracle of my son. God, are you ambivalent? God says, no, I am the God who saves. I am the God who makes a move to save. See what I've done in my son. I see the evil in this world and I send him to rule over a kingdom that will outlast every other kingdom. I send the one to come and be among you and be one of you. I am so close to you that I was birthed out of one of you. Jesus, fully God, fully man, 
the one who entered in, he sweat like us, he cried like us, he bled like us, but he died for us. He went to the cross for us so that when we repent and believe, we can know God. And God says, that's my move to you. I don't know what's coming in your life right now. I guarantee you this, there'll be some hard things in your future. There'll be some great things in your future. I guarantee this, as a church, as we move, some of it will be great. Some of it will be tough. It's just the way life is. It's just the way life is. But we never have to ask the question, is God ambivalent towards us? Because God has made his move in sending his son. And so when we say the Apostles' Creed and we say, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, we're not just stating theological facts. We're reminding ourselves that God is not ambivalent towards us, that he loves us, that he moves towards us in grace, that he has performed the greatest miracle of all, that we might know him and be in his family, and that we might trust in his son. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Let those words comfort your mind and your heart. This is what you believe because it's true. Let's pray. Thank you for tuning in. Please take a minute to rate our sermon podcast. Leaving a review helps other people find us and experience the power of God's word.